Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. So tonight I, I was wondering actually for the last couple of weeks, Lord, what am I going to share? What am I going to share? And uh, I really felt like He gave me the word success. And success is not really anything that I've particularly really thought about before or what it means to be successful or, or what actually is success. I have some kind of an understanding of what the world says success is, but what actually does it mean to be successful as a Christian or what is a successful Christian? What does a successful Christian even look like? And um, so I feel like tonight, as, as I'm gonna be sharing, I'm also gonna be learning because it's, it's, it's not something that's really hugely been burning on my heart for a long time, but it's something that I really felt the Lord wanted me to, to bring this evening. So that's, that's where we're going. So success, what does it mean? The worldly uh, understanding of success, literally the definition is to accomplish an aim or a purpose. And I don't know about you, but I get really dissatisfied with that definition. It, it, it doesn't really satisfy me in the sense of that's what it means to be successful, to accomplish an aim or a purpose, because the problem with that form of success is that there's, there's a stoppage to it. Once you've accomplished it or once you've, you've reached your goal or you've, you've reached your purpose, suddenly success stops. And there's this feeling of, wow, I've, I, this is what it is to be successful. But at the same time, there's a kind of a nothingness because it's now finished. There's no sort of pursuit of it. And, and it's nothing more than, than just a goal and a pursuit of a goal. And then it, it turns into this never-ending cycle of a goal. And then once you've reached it, there's always another goal because you can always be more successful in the eyes of the world. And it turns into this um, never-ending cycle of works and comparison. We never compare ourselves to people less successful than us. We compare ourselves to people more successful. And then that turns into disappointment and, and unfulfilled expectation of worldly things. And I'm thinking, yuck. <laughs> if that's what the world has to offer of what it means to be successful, then I don't wanna be successful. I don't wanna be caught in this, this cycle of works and systems and comparison and, and unfulfilled expectation. God, what does it mean in your eyes to be successful? What does it mean for a Christian to be successful? What does it mean according to the Word to be successful? And I was sitting and I was literally just speaking with the Lord and He gave me a picture really clearly of five garments in front of me and they were really long tunics sort of from neck to, to toe with long sleeves. Five garments just hanging there really clearly, five different colours. And the first one was sort of a red crimsony colour. And, and I knew, I've, I've studied colours in the past, so I, I knew some of, of what the colours were meaning as the, as the Lord was uh, impressing it on me. And the first one, this red crimson, was, was to do with praise and the blood of Jesus and, and the heart of worship and the depths of worship. And I knew that was a garment of praise. The second one was purple. And you'll know purple is to do with royalty and priestlyhood and priestly ministry. The third garment I saw was a deep green colour. And I knew that was to do with life and, and the fruit of the Spirit and the life-giving Spirit and, and new things. And then the fourth garment I saw was blue. And blue was to do with reflecting holiness and wisdom and a depth of wisdom. And then the fifth garment I saw in this, in this vision was golden. And that was to do with the Spirit and, and things of heaven and, and divine and divinity. And, 
out of each one of the garments, out of a pocket of the garment came a key and it rested below each one of the garments. And as I was looking at these keys, they were all slightly different from each other. I noticed the garments were all coming together and forming into one garment of multiple colours. And then I knew, okay, God, there's only one person I know that wears a multicolored garment in the Bible. So I turned to Genesis and I started reading the story of Joseph and the Technicolor garment and the Technicolor dream coat. And I was like, okay, God, this is where we're going. The story of Joseph. Um, so, so yeah, I started, I started reading the story of Joseph and suddenly the five keys that I saw coming out of the garment started to, to come out and reflect in the story of Joseph. And I really believe that these are five keys that represented keys that Joseph had that led to his success and led to him being successful. And the first key was his character. And it represented just who he was in his character. He was hardworking. He was a man of integrity. He was a man that was trustworthy. There's not one point in the story of Joseph where I could find where he sinned. There's not one point where he retaliated or got angry or got disappointed, even though all these hardships came his way. His character was so steadfast. And the second key was purity. And Joseph had such a purity about him when he was tempted by lust and seduction and, and Potiphar's wife coming at him and, and alluring him. He ran from that thing. He had such a purity about him. I believe that was the second key. The third key that came out of the coat was faith. He had such a faith in God, not in his circumstances, but in the one that he knew that could get him out. You know, I can face anything because my God can do anything. You know, and, and the fourth one was forgiveness. The fourth key that he had was a heart of forgiveness, a heart of reconciliation, particularly within family. You know, he had every right to retaliate or every right in the worldly sense of what retaliation is to, to give something back to his brothers that wasn't grace, that wasn't love, that wasn't mercy in his position of power, but he came with a heart of forgiveness and a heart of reconciliation. And the fifth key that the Lord showed me that came from the garment and, and was evident in the life of Joseph was humility. And um, I believe we can learn from these five keys. We can learn from these things as to, you know, reflecting, wow, that's what, what I believe were some of the things that led to Joseph being successful. And I was like, okay, Lord, this ain't quite a sermon yet. <laughs> But we're getting somewhere, we're getting something. And then as I was looking at these keys, the keys became one key. In the same way that the five garments merged into one multicolored garment, these five keys merged and became one golden key. And I said, all right, Lord, there's one key to success. And now I can see every eye in the room on me. You're like, oh, she knows the key to success. <laughs> tell me what's the key to success. I want the key to success. What is it? Well, I could tell you now and I could scrap the whole sermon. We could all go and have a cup of tea, but I'm not going to because I really want to, um, I want to take you on a bit of a journey that I went on looking at, at the life of Joseph and and paint a bit of a picture of what the Lord showed me in the, in the whole sense of, of the key to success and, and what it means to be successful and compared to what the world would say it means to be successful. So let's, let's have a look at Joseph. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Genesis 37. We're not gonna read his whole story because we're not gonna have the time, but it's, 
It's a fascinating story to read. I encourage you just to read the life story of Joseph um, because so much of, of what he went through you can, you can relate to in your own life, maybe not being put in prison, but, but the different temptations that he faced. So Joseph's life was absolutely filled with peaks and pits. So we're gonna talk about tonight. So looking at his life, he had points of, of absolute peaks where he was at the height, he was being successful, everything was going well. And then he had massive pits where everything was going really the opposite of well, really just darn right, not good at all. And, and these peaks and pits happened between the age of 17 and 30. The best years of his life were in a sense robbed from him through jealousy and hatred and, and these different things that came against him. But, but it's what he did in those moments that I really believe is key. So right from chapter 37 to 41 and then and, and onwards in Genesis, we can read the, the story of Joseph. So we're gonna start actually, Joseph started off quite successful. Like he's, he's 17 years old, he's the favoured son of his father. He's got 11 other brothers and sisters um, and he's having these dreams that are so wild and, and so prophetic and so out there. And, and he already has the interpretation, the understanding of these dreams. And he's not the oldest son, he's, he's second to youngest and he's busy telling the older brothers. I mean, how, how cool would that be? 17 year old and you're telling your older brothers, bro, you're gonna bow to me one day. Like so much for humility. But what 17 year old wouldn't share that dream? Come on. Um, so he's got this prophetic gifting happening. He got given a tunic of multiple colours representing all different things, but also in that day and age, the tunic representing just the, the whole sonship and belonging to the father and being heir, even though he wasn't the oldest. And, and there's a lot of different symbolism to it. And then all of a sudden, his, his peak becomes a pit because suddenly his brothers hate him for his dreams. They hate him for what he's favoured. They hate him for his success, which actually is, is nothing of his own doing. It's all just being layered upon him. And in verse, chapter eight, uh, verse 18 of chapter 37, they see him coming from afar off and they conspired against him to kill him. Like this is pretty extreme. <laughs> Your brother your brother's conspiring to kill you because they hate you. you know, this is a, a deep-seated, deep-rooted jealousy and envy and hatred that would go so far as how could we get rid of this brother? How can we kill him? And so Joseph hits a pit when they start conspiring to kill him. But praise God for Reuben, his older brother. There's a, a bit of a peak because the brother says, let us not kill him. Let not blood be on our hands. <laughs> Guys, let's, thank you Reuben for talking some sense to your other brothers. Let's not take him out, but let's throw him in a pit. <laughs> Instead, so he's, he's hit this peak and, now, and then he's, he's in a pit and now he's hit another peak. Thank you, Reuben. But now he's in a literal pit. Uh, thankfully, there is no water in it. It tells us in the Bible. Uh, but he's now in this actual literal pit and his cloak has been stripped off him through jealousy and hatred and envy. And he's now stripped of everything that he had. And he's now not just, just stripped of it, but put into the the depths of the earth below ground, below status, below everything. And he's in this pit. And then we see verse 27. 
where the brothers decide, actually, you know what? Come, let us, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and take him out of the pit. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking about Joseph and, you know, when the brothers pulled him out of the pit and we hit this, this next peak, thank the Lord, I'm, I'm getting out of this peak. I would imagine being like, good joke, bros. That was awesome. Like, let's get over ourselves now. Like, yeah, I deserve that. You threw me in a pit, but... They didn't take him out of the pit to bring him home again or take him out of the pit to dust him off and give him back his tunic. They took him out of the pit only to sell him into slavery. (laughs) So verse 28, the brothers sell him into slavery and, and now he's hit an even deeper pit than the pit that he was in before because he's not just a slave in his home country. He's now a slave taken to Egypt where they speak a different language, where they have different gods, where there's a completely different culture, where the Egyptians don't even like the culture that he comes from. So he's suddenly gone from being quite successful to to being really unsuccessful in the eyes of the world as a slave. And it's nothing that he did himself. It's, It's literally just circumstances that are happening to Joseph. And he's a young guy. He's a teenager. He's younger than than a lot of you in this room. He's, ah, I just, I I can't fathom it. I actually can't fathom it. But God was with him. And Potiphar, the the guard of, of Pharaoh, he buys Joseph. So Joseph's now in this pit. He's a slave and praise the Lord, we hit a peak with Potiphar. And Potiphar says, you know what? I'm gonna take him in. And, uh, Joseph was strong. It says he was handsome. He was good looking. Uh, He had wisdom about him. He had an intellect about him. He could understand things beyond his years, beyond uh, what he'd been taught. And, And suddenly he got put in charge of the whole house of Potiphar and he got treated well. In fact, he knew more about the household and the runnings of the household than Potiphar knew. It says in the Word that Potiphar knew that he ate bread in the house, but Joseph knew how the bread came into the house. Joseph knew how the money came in to to get the bread into the house. He he had an even greater understanding. So we're at a peak and we know the story very well. The peak doesn't last (laughs) that long before Potiphar's wife (laughs) creates a pit for Joseph. So Potiphar's wife sees Joseph in his worldly success and with his good looks, with his nice clothes, with his position of status, with his element of power, with his authority over everything that's going on, with the favour that's on his life and the blessing that's on his life. And she wants a piece of it. And she uses everything that she can to tempt him with lust, with seduction. And it doesn't just say that she tempts him once in chapter 39. It says daily she came at Joseph. Every single day she came at him. Come and lie with me. Come and sleep with me. Come and be with me. And at one point she does it when there's no one else in the house. There's not one other person in the house. So if this was a moment where Joseph was gonna be tempted by any kind of sexual sin in his position of power, it would be then when there was no one to see complete secrecy, just him and the wife. And as I said before, Joseph doesn't fall for it. She grabs his tunic and here again, we see literally his garment is ripped off him as he flees from that thing. Joseph was so pure. He said, why? 
why would I sleep with you? Your husband has given me everything besides you because you're of such value to him. Why would I sin not against my master, but why would I sin against God and do this abomination and do this sinful thing? And he bolts from that. He runs from her, but she's not happy with it. She's 100% not happy with it. And so his character is proven in his integrity and his purity and his trustworthiness. But his character is attacked by false accusation. And suddenly his place of success becomes the deepest pit yet that he's ever been in because now he's not a slave, but he's in a jail of solitary confinement. You know, the Scripture says he was confined in his slave and he remained there in his jail. Sorry, not his slave, in his jail. He was confined in that and he remained in that. It doesn't tell us how long he was in there, but all it says is he remained in there. There there is no, oh yeah, you get a day out or you get a walk around the park or you get a free bit of freedom, sunshine on a leaf. I mean, we went to Israel last year and, and some of the people in here have seen some of the the jails that they had, they were underground and they're just stone walls with um, lashings that you, you get tied up against a wall. That They're not even above ground. There's no daylight that comes in. There's just damp, dripping earth and rock that you're in. And suddenly he's in this place of confinement. But he doesn't stay in the pit. <laughs> Within the jail, there's another peak for Joseph because... Once again, we see the favour of God on his life and he's favoured in the jail and he's favoured by the jailer. And then we see in chapter 40, we have the cupbearer and we have the baker and they come to Joseph and he has his prophetic gifting. So he's able to interpret their dreams and he interprets them well. And he says, I want you to remember me to Pharaoh when you get released. That's all he asks, just remember me. And they forget him. One gets killed, okay, I can, okay. But the other guy, I mean, come on. Just remember Joseph, that's, that's all he had to do. And it says clearly in Scripture, but he forgot about Joseph. He forgot about the man that interpreted his wacky dream that happened exactly as he said. This guy's now walking it out word for word. It's, it's happening and he just happens to forget that? Like, Who are these people, Lord? But he got forgotten. So this is where where he's basically in the lowest pit that he's been in. You know, the first pit, there is still light coming into that pit with his brothers. The second pit, he's in a confinement. Now he's not just in a confined pit, but he's remaining in this pit. It says, Joseph remained in jail and the cupbearer forgot about him. But we know the story from Sunday school or from watching the movie or maybe reading it in the Word that he doesn't stay in this pit because lo and behold, Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret the dream. Uh, and I'm not gonna go into to full detail of it, but basically we know there's a series of events and, and, and circumstances that happen uh, in chapter 41 
verse 39 onwards. And suddenly we see Joseph interpreting the dream of Pharaoh and his pit becomes his greatest peak in a matter of seconds after he's able to interpret a dream that no one else is able to interpret. And it doesn't just stop there. Joseph gets reinstated everything that was stripped off him at the beginning. It says Pharaoh puts a ring on his finger. He puts a garment back on him and he gives him the best of the food. And I was like, wow, that's such a story of the prodigal son. Only the, the prodigal son was his own choice his circumstances that he entered into. This was not Joseph's choice. The circumstances that happened to him, but the same reconciling God, that same God that has the heart of the father for his son that chose to, to have the circumstances happen. He had the same thing happen to Joseph. He said, you know what? I'm reinstating this. It's this son of mine with a ring, with a garment, with a cloak, with, with food. He got the best chariots of Egypt. He got second, he was second in command only to Pharaoh. As if he was Pharaoh's son, that the top that he could possibly get, he couldn't go any higher. This is his absolute peak of success, his, his pinnacle of success because there is no further. There's nothing more that he could achieve. There's nothing more that he could gain. He got his family back. He got to see his father again in his old age. We can read and we can look at the Scriptures and we can go on and on. Blessing and favour and prosperity and life came back to Joseph. That's really cool, right? That's super cool. He was suddenly very, very successful. But I haven't yet told you the key to success. I haven't yet, yet got to what is the one key that Joseph had that led to his success. And I just wanna go back for a second to the five garments that we saw at the beginning because I believe there were five times in the life of Joseph where garments were stripped off him. The first garment was stripped off him literally out of jealousy, hatred and envy. His second garment he lost the status of sonship when he became a slave. The third garment that he lost was through lust, temptation that stole it from him. It didn't affect him, but it stole his garment. Again, literally, she held on to his cloak. The fourth one, the guy, his garment was stolen through false accusation. And the fifth one, through poverty and imprisonment. And all of these things, these five things that were stolen from him were or stolen from his friends, from his family, from people that he trusted, from people that were above him that were supposed to be protecting him. And they didn't, they didn't do a good job. They failed at their job. People that, that he looked up to, that, that stripped him of things that they never should have. And I believe that's not only what happened to Joseph, but I believe it happens to so many of us so many times. Jealousy, envy and hatred can get the better of us, either from us to someone else or someone else towards us. Slavery to a sin or slavery to an addiction or slavery to something that's, that's holding you bound, robs you of your identity, robs you of, of who you are and your security as a son and your position as a son. And it, it, it robs you of the freedom of believing truth because it fills you with so much lies. Lust and temptation robs the children of God daily. The enemy uses the same thing 
to rob His children of of complete purity, of complete freedom, of what it means to be 100% just alive in Christ and free from some of that stuff. False accusation coming at you that robs you from or, or attacks your integrity and your character. Poverty, imprisonment. I'm not meaning literally in prison, but I'm meaning in prison to something that's holding you captive, imprisoned to depression that wraps itself like bars around you that you can't seem to get out of, you can't seem to see out of this darkness even though you know there's a light there. You know, I believe we're, we're all supposed to wear this multicolored garment because the garment of multicolored is literally a reflection of every facet of God. And when we wear Him like a garment or as a cloak, we're secure in Him. We're completely inside of Him, encompassed in Him. We're in Christ, which is what we were always called to be from the beginning. Yet so often the enemy would come at us with some kind of accusation, with some kind of temptation, with something that the demonic would just grab and rip off of us and make us believe that we're now less than what we were or turn our circumstances into something that, that now all of a sudden everything was going great and, and how did that happen? Now everything's just turned to custard. Daily the enemy wants to rob us and make us believe that he can rob us of our identity. Our lives are filled with peaks and pits, just like Joseph's were. Sometimes it's our own doing and sometimes it's circumstances that are beyond our control. And I was doing the dishes one night. Actually, I think it was Thursday night. I was doing the dishes and, uh, and I really heard the Lord so clearly. He said to me, Rachel, when was Joseph most successful? And I put the cup on the little dish rack and I stood there and I thought about it. When was Joseph most successful? And the first thought that came to me, I'm not gonna lie, the first thought that came to me was when he was at his highest peak was when he was most successful, when he couldn't go any higher, when he had the riches, when he had the glory, when he had the chariot, when he had the fame, when he had the authority, when he had the power, when he was absolutely at his peak of his, his spiritual ministry. He's just deciphered Pharaoh's dream of all people. It's like someone in here, you know, President Trump has a dream and you've got the, the interpretation of it. I'm not calling him Pharaoh, but what I'm saying is like, that was my opinion of what it meant to be most successful. And, and I wanted to say it, but in my heart, I knew I was wrong, but I didn't have another answer. And so I just stayed there silently washing more dishes, thinking maybe the Lord's gonna ask me a different question or maybe He's just gonna say something else or just tell me the answer. And He said again, Rachel, when was Joseph most successful? And I said, God, I know I'm wrong, but I wanna say when he was at his peak of success was when he was most successful. And I heard him laughing. And it wasn't a ridiculing laugh at me. It wasn't a, oh, Rachel, what the heck? <laughs> like, you're so wrong. But it was a laughter. And he just said, there were two times that I saw him at his most successful points. And he said the first time was, was when he became a slave. And the second time was when he was in prison. 
And I knew the Lord was gonna say that and I didn't know why. And so I kept washing these dishes and I said, God, how? How was Joseph most successful before his promotion? Like that doesn't make sense according to the world. But I've asked you for your opinion on what it means to be successful. And I know everything with you, God, is the opposite of the world, but this is crazy. And again, he starts laughing. And then I started laughing. It would have looked quite ridiculous. I'm just doing the dishes laughing. And, um, and it was, the Lord started to speak to me about his pet and about why, why the opposite, why it was that he was most successful in this pet because his good looks that gave him success, his knowledge, his intellect, his spiritual giftings, the fact that he was favoured, all of that stuff didn't make him successful. It didn't get him out of jail. He couldn't rely on his handsome good looks in jail and say, okay, now get me out because I'm this uh, good looking guy. He couldn't tell the jailer, oh, oh, but I'm my father's favourite son. I can't be in jail. <laughs> that didn't, didn't make him successful. He couldn't say, oh, you got the wrong guy. Let me just tell you, like, I've got the brains and, and I know you've got the wrong guy. I know you're wrong and I'm right. He couldn't do any of that. You know, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how many times you get promoted at work. It doesn't matter even how big your church is, although praise God for big churches. We need the more people, the merrier in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how many Facebook likes you have. It doesn't matter how many people follow you on Instagram. It doesn't matter how many friends you have or haven't got at school because none of that is gonna make you successful because just like Joseph, any second that can get stripped from you. Any second that can get taken. Any second through any circumstance, it can all be gone. That stuff doesn't make you successful. That stuff never made Joseph, made Joseph successful. Last page. We're gonna get there. So what is the key? People, what is the key to him being successful? Well, if God said the first time was when he was a slave and then the second time he was most successful in jail, that's where I went back to in Scripture. So if we turn, Genesis 39 verse 2. Joseph is slave in Egypt and I read it and it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was and he was a successful man. And I stopped. I said, "Okay, God. Joseph is slave in Egypt, chapter 39. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. The Lord was with Joseph. Not Joseph was handsome and he was successful. Not Joseph was a favoured son and he was successful. Not Joseph had an amazing prophetic ministry and he was successful. It's so clear. It's, it's right here in the Word. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And then we turn to chapter 21, uh, to verse 21 when he's in jail, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favour in the sight of his keeper in prison. Again, the Lord was with Joseph and that's why he got the favour in prison. 
And then 39, 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And I realized in that moment when I read those two verses, when he was a slave and when he was in jail, it's so simple. The key to success is that we need God. We need God with us. Because it's God's character in us that reflects in our character and our integrity and what we do. It's the purity of God in us that reflects in the purity. It's the humility of God in us that we can be humble. It's the fact that we've been forgiven in God that we can forgive others. You know, all of these keys are wrapped up in the one key that that everything just comes down to, we need God. The world says we need to, to reach all this stuff and God says, you just need me. More than anything, you just need me. You know, if we wanna be a successful father, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking to men here now. If you wanna be a successful father, you need Abba in your life. You need God Father in your life to learn from surrounding you, encompassing you so that you know what it is to have a good father, then you know what it means to be a good father. Also for the men in the room, if you wanna be a good husband, you need Isha in your life. You need God as bridegroom. God is the one that woos. God is husband in your life. And you need to understand what it means to be wooed with such a pure love that when you look at your wife, the only way you see her is through eyes of purity and you woo her from such a place of purity. But you can't do that through what the world offers. You can't do that through your own understanding. You can't do that just by yourself or, or because of your good looks. You need God. You need God. If you want to be successful in anything you do, you need God. And I want to invite the band to come forward. Because I really believe tonight that there's some garments in here that need restoring. The truth is you are surrounded in a multicolored garment of God. That's the truth. The enemy would have you believe otherwise. And if you're in a place where you're believing something's been stripped or something's been ripped or something is no longer there, God wants to show you that it is. He wants to restore it. He wants to bring you back to a place of knowing that you are in Christ, that you are secure in Him, that you're secure in the colours of Him. If you're in a circumstance at the moment that is not a peak, but it's a pit. And I just got this thought before when I was standing next to Tim, that if you hit rock bottom, you better make sure that the rock you're hitting is Jesus, because if it's not, it's gonna really hurt. And so if you need Jesus to actually be the rock in your life because you're in a pit and you're hitting rock bottom and everything's just turning to custard and you just think, God, I need you. <laughs> I don't need money right now. I don't need um, favour right now. I don't need to be the favourite son right now. I don't need to be good looking right now. I just need you right now in my circumstance and I wanna ask you to come forward because we wanna pray for you tonight. If you don't know God, 
for anyone in here that you don't know that you actually need God, I want to tell you with absolute truth, this is 100% truth, you need God. That's it. You need God. If you wanna be successful, you need God. And so I wanna invite you to come forward. If you have never, never acknowledged in your heart that you need Him, you've never given your life to Him, you've never said, God, you know what? I need you more than I need myself right now, then I wanna encourage you to come forward and we're gonna pray for you as well. If there's any area in your life where you're like, God, I need you. I'm only giving 99% of this to God and I'm keeping 10% in my own strength. Or I'm only needing God when I'm in a pit and, and when everything's going well, I, I tend to forget about Him. You know, Joseph needed God in his successful moments as well. If he relied on himself when his brothers came in and not on the heart of the Father of reconciliation, it would have been a completely different story for his brothers. So if everything's also going well for you at the moment, you're like, you know what, I'm favoured right now. I'm blessed and everything's great. I wanna tell you, you need God. You need God because you need the wisdom. How do I do this, God, in a place of favour? How do I steward what You've given me well? How do I, how do I operate in this place of favour without getting proud but staying humble? Because God doesn't want us in a pit. He doesn't want us just to be down low, needing Him, needing Him, needing Him. Like that's, that's not what I'm saying. He wants us to need Him, whether we're in peaks or we're in pits. So if you just need to come to a place where you're like, this is my circumstance and I just acknowledge that I need God, then I wanna encourage you to come forward during this worship time too.